grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. I hope you're all doing well. We've had a, quite a mixture here in California, boy. We've had sunny weather. We've had storming weather, hail today. In fact, I even went out went shopping for a, little, for a little bit at Safeway, wearing a t-shirt, jeans, you know, like we do in California, and came out of the store, and it was uh, hailing. And it was cold and hail. And then came, you know, rushed in the car, rushed out of the car, came home, put the groceries away. Uh, an hour later, sun's out, all shiny and happy. So it's been kind of crazy out there. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. And we've got a great guest tonight. As you guys probably know, because there was people that listen frequently to me, is I you know, spent five years as a crime court re- reporter in Woodland. And um, so I saw firsthand a lot of these people, uh, you know, a lot of criminals get get sent to jail. You know, and I've and I had the opportunity to tour the county jail in, in Yolo County a couple of times. But um, my guest tonight, retired uh, retired Judge Gray, he has gotten calls, you know, from inmates wanting to talk about the conditions in the jails. And so we're going to talk to him about that tonight. And uh, like I said, you know, I don't always like to, like to deal with paranormal topics. You know, I like to deal with other stuff. I'm a journalist, so. This is why I love to get people on like this, so we can chat about it. All right. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento. We're 45 strong up and down the state. So if you have a paranormal problem, um, we usually have somebody within an hour reach to get to you. So uh, hit me up on the uh, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com website. You know, shoot me or, or hit me up here in the chat room, you know, and we'll get something going get somebody out there to help you and we don't charge because how can you charge for something that technically you can't really you know that's not solid solid enough to prove <laughs> but uh the main thing is with us is we, we, we were just here to help people and educate people about the paranormal okay you know we're not out for anything like that anyhow without further ado actually real quick i'm teaching two classes i had another class last night I'm teaching a ghost hunting 101 class on the 20, I believe it's the 21st of May. See, I'm getting lost on my days. Hang on. Let me look at my calendar. There we go. Yeah. At 2 p.m. on the, at 11 a.m. on the 21st of May, I will be teaching a ghost hunting 101 class where you learn the basics of ghost hunting, but you also learn the stuff that you need when you go out, protocols, things so that you can get better evidence. So if you're not a good, if you're not a full-blown ghost hunter and you're a rec- recreational ghost hunter, this will help you. This will help you get better EVPs and stuff. You know, when you're in some haunted hotel somewhere. You should check the class out. That's over on the California Haunts Meetup. Just Google California Haunts Meetup. Also, the following weekend, I'm teaching a psychic uh, psychic development class level one. And, you know, with Nancy Matz coming on Friday, we talked about that. And and uh, on Sunday, we talked a little bit about that. How, you know, c- controlling your psychic abilities is really important, especially when you're first starting out. Because once you open that door a crack, anything can come through. Just not the nice ones. So this will teach you meditations it'll teach you your spirit library you know you'll, you'll get to meet your spirit guides you'll get to meet your spirit animal and things like that but while it's doing that it's also teaching you to leave your body to do this and then to come back 
get back into the body and shut that door. Okay, because that's what you practice. By the time class is over, you'll be able to shut that door almost, you know, pretty much instantly. And that's what you want. Because like I said, you may open the door, some nice stuff might come through. But there's also stuff out there that wants to come through and mess with you. And this is the way to control that, to learn how to control that. So if you're interested in that, check out, again, the California Haunts Meetup. Signups are over there. And uh, i got to tell you, for these classes, um, seats and do do go quickly. So I, I, yeah, I would get over there and sign up. Plus they're online. So you, you can do it from the comfort of your home. Right. Okay. So, uh, yeah, there you have it. Anyway, now let's get to our guests. <laughs> Finally. Right. All right. Without further ado. Dun, dun, dun. Hello, sir. <laughs> Good evening. It's a mouthful when I go. <laughs> well, Nice to be with you. Nice to share thoughts with good people. Um, I'm real excited about this because, like I said, I, I you know I had toured the Yolo County Jail, you know, and um, I'm not going to say anything about it because what I saw, of course, because I was depressed. So, if you know what I mean, Charlotte, let me let me tell you how I be, kind of began in this recently. Okay. I was a I was a guest on George Nury's radio show, Coast to Coast, a year ago, the Fourth of July, talking about our nation's failed policy of drug prohibition. And actually mm -hmm. as a sitting trial court judge here in a fairly conservative Orange County, California, I held a press conference, which judges do not do, back in 1992 and told the world, anyone that would listen, that I as a former criminal defense attorney in the Navy, as former federal prosecutor, and now a judge for then nine years trial court, that our nation's policy of drug prohibition was not working. So I've been talking about that ever since, and it is not. Uh, we have turned a political phrase, political watchword of get tough on crime and right. the, the Richard Nixon administration now into a national policy. And I can, I can tell you and, your, and our listeners, the United States of America has 5% of the world's population and 25% of its prisoners. And a, fed, a former U.S. Senator named Jim Webb from Virginia was faced with those statistics and said, look, either we are the most criminally oriented people in the world or we're doing something wrong. Which do you think it is? So we have many too many people in prison. So I was talking about this. And as a result, I received 12 letters from different incarcerated people, men around in prisons around the country. And I started communicating with them, talking with them. And of course, if they think you're a judge, you have a magic wand and you can make all these problems go away, which simply is not true. But mm -hmm. I asked them, tell me what's going on inside prisons, the life in prison, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so I started getting responses. And what's going on is horrific. It's, it's just not who we are. And bad things are happening. I read an article in the Orange County Register here in Orange County just last Sunday. And it said that there is, in fact, I have it here, that they call it the federal women's prison dubbed a rape club masks several crises. And there have been programmed rape and sexual abuse going on by the prison staff for these women. It was a, it was a federal prison in Dublin, California. It's about 21 miles east of Oakland. And it's horrific. And so I wrote articles about this. And I quoted Fyodor Dostoevsky, which is a Russian novelist, and he said something we should all understand, which is you can tell more about walking into a prison for a society than you can in any other thing that society does. And I don't think we would be 
very good responding with regard, if anyone were to walk into our nation's jails and prisons today, and it's up to us to do something about it, because by God, it is our government. And if it's not working, it's our fault. It's our responsibility. We have no one to blame but ourselves. Other than that, I have no thoughts about the subject whatsoever. <laughs> um, you know, when people think about criminals going to prisons, I mean, there's a huge attitude out there that, you know, they did, you know, they deserve what they get. But I mean, it's one thing to go and live in a whatever the eight foot cell, but it's another thing to have to live in deplorable conditions while you're doing that. I mean, bad enough that they're cut off from their families anyway. And and that's true. Look, let me ask our listeners right now. Close your eyes, almost literally, and think: if you were going to spend the next ten years in prison, what would be going through your mind? And yes, there are some people, and I've been a trial court judge, I was a prosecutor, all that sort of stuff. I've seen there's some people out there that see the rest of us as their lawful prey, and they should be removed from society. Right. Not lots of people, but there are some. Yes, they had a bad childhood, and yes, we should try to help them mentally uh, when they're in our custody, but they simply could not be out in a normal society. But maybe that's 15% of the people. Mm -hmm. And then there are some people... There's a guy named Nolan who was an assemblyman in Burbank, I believe it was, who was very conservative in California. And he was saying, voting in favor of longer and longer prison sentences for more and more offenses until one day he was convicted of a political fraud case and sent to prison for two years. And he got out totally different change of mind. He said, you know, there are many too many people in prisons that should not be there. And he's right. There are too many people in prison for too long a period of time. The problem is, of course, as you know, people who are incarcerated do not have a whole lot of political lobby strength. You know, they don't have a whole lot of political people backing them up. But it's up to us. Who better than a retired judge and you in California, Hans? Let's talk about this and open it up to you said earlier, you're going to help people open up their minds and educate people. Sure. And that's exactly what we should do. Now, our, you know, there's not enough prisons for everybody. So is there overcrowding? I mean, how crowded are, are they? In, inescapably, this same article said that when the finally the federal authorities, because the, the media called attention to this problem with the rape club in, in Dublin prison. And so the authorities tried to move some people out so it wouldn't seem as overcrowded as it really was. Mm -hmm. And finally, one, one woman who was prisoner there was complaining that she had been sexually abused. And they said in the newspaper that the officials tried to get her out, said, we'll parole you right away to a, to a halfway house so that they could get her out of prison so she wouldn't talk to the, to the journalists. And she declined. She said, I want to be here. I want to talk to them. Bless her heart. But this should not be going on in our country today. Absolutely not. It's an abysmal thing. If, assuming it is, and I'm taking that on face value, but I'm assuming it is. Well, a while back, I saw something on KVIE with a woman, and I don't know what prison it was, but she she was incarcerated, and I don't know what led to this, but she was forcibly sterilized while she was in prison. I I I can't even contemplate that. That that's not something. And maybe again, let's not jump to conclusions. Right, right, right. Maybe, maybe her health was at risk. I I don't know, but on its face. That's something that should be a medical determination and not something by anybody in the prison authorities. What types of conditions are they, are they living in? 
you know, it depends. There are some like Lompoc Federal Prison. I took a tour of them huh, 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's kind of like a golf course setting. And a lot of white collar criminals had been there. They knew they were in prison. Actually, I saw it and it, they had a painted line. And if you cross that line, uh, you're, you've escaped from prison. Okay, mm -hmm. that's maybe seven or eight percent of the people, but but it wasn't too bad from what I saw. But most of them, from the reports, you know, the health care is abysmal. Uh, I have a medical, actually a medical doctor who I quoted recently with his authority. He's in, in Seagoville Prison in the state of Texas, and he was sentenced for overprescribing opiates. And he wow. said he maintained that he was innocent. He was offered a one-year prison sentence if he pleaded guilty. He said, I'm innocent. I didn't do this. It wasn't my intent. And he was he was charged and convicted, and now he's serving a 20-year prison sentence. But he is a medical doctor, and he told me, you know, there are people that have aneurysms that are not treated, and they die. Mm -hmm. And people that, you know, have these other pneumonia. And, you know, you shouldn't die from pneumonia necessarily. And, of course, then you get into COVID. He's, he's citing these medical horror stories that should not be. I have a good friend also here in Southern California. He's OBGYN, and uh, he volunteered to work in a state prison for women. And he said that the medical attention for those women was abysmal, his words. Uh, it's just not something that we should tolerate. Well, I know there's, I know there, um, I've got a friend who's, who, I know somebody who's married to an inmate, and I, I believe he's got a brain tumor or something going on like that. And she's trying really hard to get him out right now because he's just, you know, it's, it's just, it's just not good. It's not a good situation. Well, you can always see horror stories. Mm -hmm. Let me put it this way. There's some people in prison that are elderly. They mm -hmm. couldn't hurt you if they wanted to. They couldn't throw their walker at you. Right. You know, they have ramps instead of stairways. They have ground up food because they can't, you know, they don't have, they're not given dentures, that sort of thing. Um, if you have to have those people in prison, and many of them I question, Charles Manton should have been in prison the rest of his life. I don't care what his situation was. But there's some people, if you have to keep them in prison, put them in an old folks home. You know, I mean, let's segregate them together. A lot of them are preyed upon by the younger people. And it's, it's you can get in. I'm not a sociologist, but I have a lot of experience in this stuff. People, when they're younger, particularly males, I agree, when they're 15, 20, 25, that's the time in which they don't really, their brain hasn't quite matured yet, and they don't really understand the consequences. And by the time, you know, they're 25, 28, they're pretty much the maximum time that they'd be involved in crime. That's when we get them and we sentence them to prison for 40 years. I mean, wait a minute, let's let's do catch them earlier and mentor them and show them. For example, the first drug case I tried as a federal prosecutor in Los Angeles, it was a DEA case and a by-bust situation, a lot of drugs and stuff. And the DEA agent who was about to go in and make the ultimate buy and then arrest everybody in sight looked and said, oh, wait a minute. No, I know that guy who's selling those drugs. He was a friend of mine in high school. We have to substitute me out because he'll recognize me. So they did. And I said, well, Roger was his name, the DEA agent. Tell me about your friend. And he said, well, Judge Gray, or actually Mr. Gray at the time, he was, I was mentored by our basketball coach when I was in high school. We were friends, but he was mentored by a drug dealer. 
And but for the grace of God, the situation would have been reversed. I would have been the drug dealer. He would have been the DEA agent. Mm -hmm. Mentoring is hugely important. And those are things that we have to focus on, particularly for our young people. Then you go back to the war of uh, the war on drugs and drug prohibition. We have juvenile street gangs all throughout our country that are using the sale of illegal drugs as a recruiting tool. Hey, you want to make some money? Come and sell drugs. Join our gang and sell drugs. We couldn't do it worse if we tried. Oh, I agree 100%. But the problem, I think a lot of the problem out there, too, is that, like you say, mentoring. My friend who uh, is trying to get on, he's got, in fact, he's at an event right now, so he's trying to come on. He's an activist who works with with the younger kids to help kids, to help prevent them going to jail. You know, they have that they have like group meetings and stuff with them and stuff. And, and he works with them because he did time himself. So, so he understands where the system works. Um, you know, and I agree with that part. I think I agree with you hundred percent. I think this has to start when they're young, but it, it's hard to lure because, you know, their lives, they're not making a lot of money. They're flipping burgers at McDonald's. And then they see these drug dealers and, and they're driving in, in, in Corvettes and Porsches and, and, you know, and then they want that. So it's really hard. So there has to be some way to work with them to, to show them, Hey, you know, you let, me, let me tell you about two programs going on right now in Southern California. Okay. One is open gate international run by some wonderful people. In fact, you may have heard of this guy, Pujols, who's a professional baseball player for the Angels and then for the Dodgers. His right. wife, Deidre, they use their own money to fund this. They have a cooking class that they will teach. It's a 12-week program, and they will teach you to become a cook or a chef. And they don't charge for their time, and they'll find women that have been sexually trafficked. They'll find people that have been in drug rehab that have, that have gone through that, and former prisoners that have now been on parole. And they will teach them how to become a chef within 12 weeks. And after that 12-week class, they have about a 75% success rate in getting these people good jobs. And their recidivism rate, their repeat offender list is plummets. Because if you have a job, you're much less likely to get back in crime. It works. So we actually took them. I took them to Norco State Prison, which is in Riverside County, near Orange County, saying, why wait for these felons to be released? Let's teach them now. And the warden was interested. We were going to start the program. Then the COVID virus came. But that's a program that works. Number two, there's a fellow by the name of Dr. Henry T. Nicholas. You may not know his name, but he was one of the two founders of Broadcom. Namely, he's a billionaire. And so he teamed up with a, re with a former judge on our court, Jack Mandel, bless his heart forever. And they came up with the Nicholas Academic Centers. What does that mean? In Santa Ana, right now, there are three Nicholas Academic Centers that mentor and tutor mostly Hispanic high school kids after school. So they teach them not only help them tutor in, in their classroom, but also show them the possibilities. Show them that you, too, can get a scholarship to a four-year university. You, too, can be a professional. You too, And they have a success rate, something like 99% of all of the kids that they tutor go on to a to a, a, a edu further education and 80% have a full ride scholarship to four year universities and then they get a job and they show that you too can do this i didn't know the possibilities i didn't you know right. rosa diaz is now running the program she's one of our graduates and she i interviewed her on a podcast that i had and she said you know there was nothing special about me 
I, I was the first one to graduate from high school from my family, but I realized, hey, I too, she got a scholarship to Allegheny College, four-year scholarship, and she got her degree. Then she went to USC and got a master's in, in education, and now she's working. She sees this. It's, it isn't special if you can get this done. Now, I agree. Henry Nicholas is a billionaire. He spent $7.2 million a year for the last two years. Uh, I can't quite afford that. And I don't think you can either, even on your salary at California Haunts. But you know, <laughs> but there's some people that can. These right. are things that work and we must reinvent them and get this word out because things like this work and crime goes down and victimization goes down and taxes go down and incarceration goes down. Those are things that work and we need to get this word out. So work harder at this, Charlotte. We need to get this word out more. Well, I agree, and you know what? And then I see with, with 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 my friends that are doing this, you know, working with the kids, which is something at some point I, I want to get back. I want to get involved to do. And right now, I just have life things going on, and you know, but uh, this is how I'm trying to help them a little bit, you know, to to have people like you on, you know, and you uh, to get the word out. And you know, I understand the story. I, you know, I know some of the stories because I've heard Henry tell me the stories. You know where these kids come from broken homes you know there, there's bad things going on in the homes and that's what starts this whole cycle off because they just feel useless and they think they're not going to get anywhere and, and that's right you know we were also able here in orange county to start something we called peer court which is now we take the the probation department screens real juvenile delinquency cases and, you know, not people that are holding up liquor stores, but also mm -hmm. not just jaywalking, but, you know, burglaries and things like that. And we'll take them to a uh, high school outside of their area so none of the kids there know them. We'll impanel a high school jury and the juries will ask them questions. And, you know, they get pretty sophisticated. Hey, uh, you were smoking marijuana, weren't you? Yes. You have a younger sister, don't you? Yes. Do you want her to smoke marijuana? No, I can't really say. Well, don't you realize that if you do it, regardless of what you tell her, she's probably going to do that too. Have you thought of that before? And we'll have the parents there as well. And they'll say, wait a minute, are you kidding me? You didn't know that your 14-year-old daughter was out at two o'clock in the morning on a school night. You don't even know her friends. Hey, there's a difference between being a parent and being a friend. That's a much different thing. You're their parent. You're holding them responsible. So, you know, we do that sort of thing. And I will even ask them, say, uh, close your eyes. Literally, think of your three best friends. You don't have to tell me who they are. Just think of them. You have them in mind? Yes. Are they going to be successful five or 10 years from now? No, I really don't think that. Well, don't you realize that if you hang out with them and you hang out with people, the young people that ditch school and smoke marijuana and talk back to their teachers, not going to be successful, you're probably going to do the same. But if you roll out hang out with kids that roll up their sleeves, work hard and be successful, you probably will too. Let me tell you a secret. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. So we get this word out into the high schools and it works. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. Like I, like I, like I said, you know, I, I've been keeping a close eye on what my friends do, you know, and um, all the youth programs that, that they put together. They've even started training um, people to be mentors. You can't, you can't do something better than mentoring. Let, yeah. me, let me ask you, let me ask all of the people listening and watching right now, what's the most important thing in life, which is about the most general question I can think of. And the answer for me is gratification, realizing that the world is a somewhat better place because you are on it. 
And what better way of getting that gratification than helping some other human being, young human being, to kind of see the light and realize, hey, I too can be successful. You know, if I if I really work hard, I know I can be successful. The American dream still lives. We can pursue it. We can obtain it if we just work hard, roll up our sleeves and be responsible. And then you understand most people, and I, I heard this and I would tell people in my peer courts as well, most people are hired for ability and fired for attitude. You know, you're hired for ability, but you're fired because you just don't get along with people. And, you know, if I'm a manufacturer, or I'm a restaurant and I have hired somebody to work and they don't get along with my customers, they're not going to help me any and they're going to lose their job. Attitude is huge, huge results. That's what we do. And in America, it's still there and we can still pursue this. We just need to mentor our young people and sometimes our older people uh, to get this across. But we can. By the way, would you like to know a really good investment opportunity? I'll tell you this for you and your listeners. Are you aware? Are you aware that Federal Express and United Parcel Service are about to merge companies? Really? Yeah. And the name of the new company is going to be fed up. <laughs> Got to have a little humor in this world. That's it. I, I agree with that. You know why? I'm a postal brat. My dad was a post office guy. So when UPS came out, he was just like, no, no, no. You know, but yeah, that's that's funny. It's hilarious to me. Absolutely hilarious. Now, um, is it worthwhile when like you know when, when people get out of jail and and they become mentors for these kids too because they can tell the kids directly? The answer is yes. You know, so I'm in a black robe and people will listen to me because I can put them where they don't want to be. But look, you know, if I was in a juvenile street gang and I can tell you the life and I can tell you what happened and I can tell you the results, they'll listen to you. You can be a marvelous mentor. And I've been in touch with numbers of people in prison who want to become mentors for particularly juvenile street gang kids, showing Mm -hmm. it's the wrong way to go on a one way street. So the answer is yes. We all can do this. We all have things to offer. You know, I think being a baseball coach or, or you know, working in scouts or working in, in choruses, you know, choirs, all that sort of stuff. It's constructive. It's beneficial. And uh, as opposed to because there will always be somebody out there to mentor our children. And right. if it isn't the juvenile street gangs or the warlords or whatever, there's always somebody like Charles Manson out there to pick up the others and say what you will. Charles Manson was brilliant at mentoring his supposed family, and he sure led him astray. So if the basketball coaches and the scout leaders and the parents don't do it, the Charles Manson of this world will. It's hugely important, and we need to focus on it and do it. You know, I can honestly say that I'm glad I don't have kids because it would be so hard. Some of mine? (laughs) <laughs> no, thanks. I got dogs. I got dogs, cats, and birds. I'm good. But I mean, it would be so hard, it, you know, depending on where I'm living, of course, but it would be so hard to raise a kid now because of all this influence that's out there. No, I, I don't. Wait a minute. Um, okay. It's always been hard to raise kids. You know, you can go out to some agrarian. It's always hard. And I never held a baby until I held my own child. Uh, you know, I didn't take any schooling. We, we went through some parenting classes when my then wife was pregnant, but it's always hard. And, and frequently, unfortunately, in today's world, it mostly or more often falls upon the mother. And, and it's such a difficult thing to do. And when I was 
you know, I had my first child. I was in the Navy. I did. I was a Navy lawyer. I didn't know anything about practicing law. Didn't know anything about the Navy. And I was on independent duty in Guam. You know, I mean, I was isolated, had no money. It was hard. But, you know, you keep focused and you stay around other people who can help you, who can you can band together other young parents, other young mothers and sisters and stuff so that you can family is hugely important. But it's always been hard to be a parent. Don't 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 get me wrong. OK, OK, OK. It just strikes me because, like, you know, like just you know what, what you hear about the schools, you know, and the, and the, the gang influence in school and, and, and they try to recruit the kids when they're so young. I mean, that's spooky. It, and it's true. And it's it's really hugely important. Again, that's why we need our scout leaders and our basketball coaches and our PTA leaders. I happen to think that school choice, the, the, the literal fact that we have so many schools in our in our world today, in our country, that are failing our children, which is an absolute travesty, and it's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. The most important issue, I think, is empowering parents to choose where their government money is going to be spent for the education of their children. I ask this question, you know, who is in a better position to decide where and how your child should be educated, you as the parent or the government? And never has anyone said it's the government. But a lot of parents are not that involved, I understand, and they have their difficulty, but a lot of them are. And in fact, let me give you a, a little quick advertisement that today, my wife and I just got the word that we have written a book. It's a, it's a novel on school choice as a theme. It's called 2030 Kids, and it's going to be published. We've just gotten it out recently, but it shows how if parents are empowered to choose where their government money is going to be spent, they'll choose excellence. And, and they will get it. It's a hugely important issue. You bring competition into schools and all of a sudden the schools start doing better. Um, if you think about it, probably public education is the only area in our society today that I can think of where the provider dictates what the consumer will purchase. And so it doesn't work. And the teachers don't, don't get paid for being excellent. They get paid for longevity. So, you know, they get basically they realize that there's more money in administration than there is in teaching. So the better teachers end up gravitating out of the classroom into, into administration in private schools or where there's competition that doesn't happen. I was proud to say I was the libertarian candidate for vice president back in 2012. And I was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 2012 talking about this. And people soon started wagging their fingers at me saying, Judge Gray, we don't have any bad schools anymore. We've had school choice now for 10 years. All the bad schools have either gotten better or they've gotten out of out of business and others have come in to take their place. Competition works. We need to bring that back into our society. And we can, and we are. Do you think, and you know, because like you say, a lot of the parent, there's a lot of parents that either don't want to, you know, don't don't want to deal with it or are too busy, like you get latchkey kids and all this going on. Do you think that it, it helps? I mean, to like like some place for after school for these kids to go to. The the answer is yes. Of course, nothing works for everything, but right. But so so I'm a parent, and I don't really care that much. I'm busy. I'm doing other things for my children or for my family. But you are live next door, and you do care. And your children are not. You're going to take them and go to a different school and use your school voucher to pay for it. My kids play with your kids. They're going to, hey, wait a minute. I want to go where Charlotte's kids are going. Right. So there'll be that coattail thing too. It basically works. And there've been numbers of places. 
New Orleans has done it, a lot of places in Florida, Indiana, as I said, Milwaukee. It works, and we need to get this word out there. You find that when I moved down into Orange County, California, I moved into Irvine right away because one reason was Irvine has really good schools. So I had school choice because I could choose that. And mm -hmm. then we were raising our son here and actually in Newport Beach. And I didn't like the public schools here. My wife didn't either. So we had the money to pay for him to go to a private school. So I have school choice. But mm -hmm. so if I was if my son was going to go into a classroom where the teacher wasn't very good, I could stand up and I'd have the horsepower to say, I don't want him to be with Mr. Jones. I want him to be with Mrs. Smith. And mm -hmm. either they'd, they'd move him to Mrs. Smith or we'd move him out someplace else. So in the poorer areas, that's where the poor teachers go. That's where the students are failing our children. And unfortunately, many of them are African-American or Hispanic or whatever. It's not racial, it's economic. Right. We right. need to empower those parents to choose. They can show, they can have this little voucher in their hand. I'm going to spend this money on a different place. And then you know, maybe my son shouldn't be a psychiatrist. He's really good at mechanical engineering, or he's really good at a, being a mechanic itself. Let them send them to occupational schools or for art and art and music schools or whatever. Let them choose. They will choose excellence. It's it's really coming. The minority people in our country are beginning to understand this. Hooray for that. And we're going to change away from these failing schools. And I'm glad to see it happening. Couldn't come sooner. Don't they do that already in countries like Scotland? Yes, in a lot of places. In, in a lot of places they do. And it's a really a good idea. It, it works. You know, it's the teachers' unions. And, and I love teachers. I mean, teachers, mm -hmm. what, a, what a wonderful vocation to help young people get inspired about learning and being mm -hmm. successful. But it's the teachers' unions that are, that are causing these problems. They hate private schools. They hate the vouchers. But uh, they're going to have to realize... They're going to have to get better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do you propose for people to get the vouchers? I mean, because, I mean, it's hard right now with what's going on in Congress well, and everything. So, you know. You're right. You're right. But it's coming. It's simply a question of telling people the truth, mm -hmm. showing them that they, too, could be empowered to do this. And, uh, you know, if they have a school that's failing their children, if I can tell you, if you had 200 parents up in a, in a community holding up a voucher saying, hey, I've got some money here. Our schooling is failing. I want somebody to meet this demand. I assure you the demand will be met. You know, if the demand is here, the demand will be met. It's that they don't have that power right now and it's coming and people are beginning to realize it. It's, it's a revolution on its way and it's a positive revolution. I think it's a great idea. I mean, I, I have no qualms about it. I mean, I've seen, I've seen kids, you know, I've seen how, you know, schools differ. I've seen that. And it's just, yeah, I mean, some kids, some people feel like they have no choice because of the neighborhoods they're in. You know, they're stuck with that particular school. They don't like their kids there because of what's going on, you know, but, and they throw their hands up because they can't do anything. Well, our, our book is a novel, but it talks about, you know, interesting kids in learning, mm -hmm. interest in them in becoming investigators, uh, interest them in showing, you know, problem solving, not just, you know, four plus four is eight and that sort of stuff, which is important right. too, but, but to teaching for the test. No, you teach them to problem solve. You teach them to realize, Hey, wait a minute, this is a problem. Let's dig in and see what we can do. And you, you ask them, you know, silly stuff. I, 
let me let me share with you and our our audience a secret that I at least was one one time successful in being a parent that I was driving my three kids. They were maybe six, six and three years old at the time down into some rural area by a strawberry field. And you probably know that in most strawberry fields, they put plastic strips down so that and I understand that the reason is to either to keep some humidity in the soil, to mm -hmm. keep fewer weeds there and to keep the crop from touching the ground because then it won't rot. So I was looking at him and say, hey, kids, look, that's where they raise plastic. Oh, really, Daddy? Oh, really? You know, and I was quiet. And then maybe five miles down the road, one of my sons said, oh, come on, Dad. You know, but it's important to get children to question. And when, I, when you're six years old, your dad knows everything. But even question what your daddy says. And it's important to do that, to question everything. Not to belittle it, but just to question it in your minds. And, and that's called education. And that's an important thing that we don't do in our public schools. Oh, you got that answer wrong. You know, okay, so you're stupid and the rest. No, no, no. Question it. Go through these things. Your sense of humor reminds me of my father's sense of humor. You have a similar sense of humor. Well, would you like to hear my second favorite all-time play on words? Let's do it. Okay. I use these in my mediations. Now I do private judging and I'll ask people, okay, what do you call an animal that has a nose and nothing else? Don't say ugly, of course, that would be cheating. What do you call an animal that has a nose and nothing else? And the answer know. is, what is it? nobody knows. <laughs> yeah, you remind me of my dad, I tell you. Okay, well, that's, no, that's we call it, careful though, we call them dad jokes, not, dad not jokes. make sure it's a D instead of a B in front of it, but yes, dad jokes, okay? Joke. His favorite one was, did you hear about the holdup today? No, I didn't. Tell me about it. Two clothespins held up a handkerchief. <laughs> okay, that works. See? So you have a similar sense of humor. You know, I think the mentor program is important. You know, I, I, covered, I covered gang shooting cases when I was working. And I remember seeing the, 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 the this is what got me, where, where the mothers come in. They're dressed in their finery, you know, because the, the kids are in front of the judge. And they're crying, you know, because the kids are arrested and all this. Then you look down on their arms, and they've got gang tattoos. And that's why I agree that, the, you know, I'm not saying that that's, that they're bad mothers or whatever. I'm not saying that. I don't want to get shot by anybody <laughs> but um, or make anybody mad. But, you know, that's what makes you think about what the living situation is like at home, you know, with these kids. Because the, the whole thing can be, you know, can be generational. And that's why these this mentorship program stuff is so important. You know, it, it, it is. You're, you're kind of a prisoner of your environment. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of, and I was in the Peace Corps in Costa Rica. You know, I, I love Hispanic people. I love, I speak Spanish. It's a more beautiful English, actually language than English. But, but you know, you, you get into these, they're family oriented, but they don't, it, it isn't within their family to see the possibilities. Right. And all, as soon as you graduate from high school, we need you to go out and get a labor job so that you can help support the other children in the family, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. And you're imprisoned by your background and you yes. don't see the, the opportunities. You don't see the possibility. When I was in juvenile court, I was presiding in juvenile court for a while. I still remember that there was a grandmother who came into my court who felt it was an act of love to teach her 12-year-old grandson how to shoplift a jacket from Target. I mean, that was just that was her gift to her to her grandson. So we need to break that. We need to break into that, not to disturb the family members, but, you know, then you get back into incarceration 
And there's so many families that have their fathers particularly incarcerated. Right now in the United States of America, as I understand it, one out of 23 children, mm -hmm. one out of 23 of our children have at least one parent incarcerated. Many, of course, for drug offenses. Now, look, you know, I've never, I, I drink alcohol, which is a mind-altering, sometimes dangerous drug, sure. sometimes addicting drug. It's not illegal. I could go home tonight and drink 10 martinis, and as long as I didn't beat up my wife or drive a motor vehicle, I'm not violating the law, nor right. should I be. So what if you take marijuana instead, or even some other drugs, which I have never done and not interested in doing, mm -hmm. but if all you do is do that to yourself and you don't hurt other people, that should not be a criminal offense. Right. right. Unless, right. you know, we should have age restrictions, but, mm -hmm. but for that... So look at it this way. And again, you're talking to somebody who's been in the criminal justice system for all of my professional life. The criminal justice system was designed to protect us from each other. Okay. So if I hit you over the head or I steal or I defraud you, you're a victim. You'll complain. You can bring me to the police. Good. The criminal justice system is designed to protect us from each other and is pretty good at it. It is not designed for and not at all effective at protecting us from ourselves. So let's recognize that. And if I'm going to take heroin, which is a terrible thing to do, or methamphetamines right. or whatever, bring me closer to medical professionals that can help me instead of pushing me farther away from them and bringing in criminal justice. You know, police are not at all trained to or effective at protecting me from myself. So that's the difference. And if I drive a motor vehicle under the influence of anything, now what's the difference? Why is that a crime? And the answer is because now I'm putting your safety at risk, legitimate criminal justice issue. And that's something we have, as a country have not yet understood. And we've got to. Well, um, you made a good point because I was just thinking, going back, to the mother, going back to the mother in court, when you talked about the percentage of, of the kids where, where there's at least one parent in prison. And the thing with that is that that's the lifestyle they see. Sure. And for some kids, it's a nothing. Oh, yeah, so-and-so got picked up by the cops. He's going to be in for a few days, but he'll come out. You know, it's almost, that's, that's the it's cycle. almost a rite of passage. Hey, you yeah. haven't been to jail yet? Oh, you're not even adult yet. I mean, yeah. that's, that's true. And that's the cycle. That needs to be, and that's what's sad, because that's the cycle that needs to be broken with these kids. Exactly. They need to see the opportunities. They need to be able to see that what really works and what doesn't. And really, the American dream does work. And, and it works for all of us. And hooray for that. Fantastic. I, I love what you're doing. I really, you. I, I really love what you're doing. I'm going to put you in touch with, with the people I know down you know, here. Um, Thank you. You know, I've, I've written some articles. Uh, go to judgejimgray.com. Uh, okay. I have pretty much all of my articles there. And uh, I'm proud of it. And you can contact me through my website. And I, I respond to the, the questions that I get. Mm -hmm. uh, I, we, we need to focus on what works and what works is like we've been talking about. You know, we have programs with the Orange County Bar Association where we we mentor, we, we show kids, we we not, we help young professionals, uh, young, young, young attorneys. Uh, we, you, you show them what can happen, but you got to start early. And, and if you have a bad school and the kid is figures that you're dumb, you know, you can't do this. Right. Uh, and a lot of kids are not, they just, they have, they're different, but if mm -hmm. they're dumb by the age of the fifth grade, 
they're probably never going to reach their potential and shame mm -hmm. on us. So we've got to, got to devote that attention at that time, particularly in their in their schooling and in their mentoring. My other question is, have you taken kids on, on tours at, at, at prison so, so that they could actually see what it's like? Uh, I have not, but there are there are various things that do that. We mm -hmm. have Project Youth by the Orange County Bar Association where mm -hmm. we will actually take young people into jail and they have to take their shoes off, you know, and they talk with convicts there and everything. And the, and the people that are incarcerated will tell them what's what's gone on, what the reality is in life and what a waste of terrible waste of your time to sit here in jail for two years doing nothing. Uh, we also, in this same, and I hate to bring this up, but in the same Orange County Register article that we were talking about where rape was going on in, in Dublin Federal Prison, I mean, my God, they have had a warden and an assistant warden convicted of rape since then. Now, you can imagine having somebody who's in charge of this place, oh actually was abusing these women, just a a damnable thing, but but we've got, it's our government, we need to bring transparency, and what I say with regard to transparency in our prison, because some bad things are happening there, right. we need to put body cameras on every correctional officer, just like every police officer out, in, and as soon as people know, hey, I'm on film, I'm going to act better, and the, this, and the police officer is going to act better too, and the other thing is, allow the media full, complete access to all of our nation's yes. jails and prisons. You know, consistent with security issues, but that, that that can really be done. And then, sure, a lot of people that are inmates, they lie or they exaggerate. Okay, but but the, the people in the media have a vested interest not being made fools of. But, hey, there's some things. I've had one guy tell me, hey, I have black mold growing in my jail cell. And so I, I objected to it, and I, I said, and the warden wrote back to me, or the prison guards wrote back and said, oh, we've, we've checked it out. There isn't any. It's right here, you know, but allow the media to come in. They can say, wait a minute, there is black mold and it's not healthy. You know, the medical attention, the, the food, you know, okay, a lot of our jails and prisons are down in, in, in hot areas, you know, in desert areas. They should have some air conditioning. I'm not coddling prisoners, but, you know, if it's 120 degrees, maybe if you're sitting in a jail cell, maybe you should have some relief. You know, let's, let's go along with Fyodor. Dovsievsky, like I said earlier, and people walk into our jails and prisons. That's what we are as a society, and and we should be held accountable for that. Well, look at what happened during COVID. You know, with the prisons and, and how quickly it spread through, through the prisons, and they weren't getting the proper medical care and all that. And that's right. Just because you're in jail doesn't mean you should have a death sentence either. But we just have we have jail overcrowding. We just have too many people in jail and prison. And again. Only I, as a I'm a libertarian, a conservative person, believe in don't tread on me, don't tread on anybody, but but believe in justice of all things and equal opportunity for everyone. And you know, putting somebody in prison for five years is a long time, um, and, and unless you're going to go out there and and continue to to harm other people, why why twenty years? Why not just five? Uh, it's mm -hmm. that's enough. That'll be enough because after a while if they're in there that long it's a finishing school for crime they'll talk sure. to their fellow inmates what did you do oh no next time you do it do it better you can do it better by you know robbing the store this way or whatever else so you know you've got to give people hope and, and the answer is you know it, you can't make people better by treating treating them badly and and we need to treat them as as individuals i always call when i'm writing to the 
incarcerated people. It's always Mr. Jones, Mr. Smith, you know, none of this stuff. Uh, they're, they're human beings. And mm -hmm. then I went, uh, actually, it was, a, it was a convention sponsored by the Koch brothers, and they get a lot of bad press, but, but it was called Ban the Box. It was in New Orleans. What does ban the box mean? Anytime almost anyone applies for a job, there's this little box on the application that says, have you ever been convicted of oh, a crime? I was say that, if yeah. you check that box, you're gone. They won't even look at you. And if you don't check the box wrongly and they find out eventually, you're still right. gone. So wait a minute. Don't put that box in. Let's figure out the person first and only later in the program figure out, yes, okay, I made a mistake. And then they said something all of us should recognize. For the most part, no one can be defined by the worst thing they've ever done. You know, I've done some things I'm not proud of, but that doesn't define me. Charles Manson would be different, but most people cannot be defined by the worst thing they've ever done. Let's let with a little understanding creep into the conversation. Absolutely. I was going to ask you about that, too, because, you know, about the hiring thing, because I know, you know, when people get out of jail, it's hard for them to find work. Why? Because of that. It really is. And many people who've been in prison, they've been wasting their lives. They want to do better. They want to be able to look their look people in the eye and say, you know, I'm, I'm earning a living. They want to be able to support their family. But look, if I went to prison, in fact, I, I, may, I, went, I took a tour of Norco State Prison before, just quite a while ago, and I found out it's a fairly low security prison. Most of them are there because they were drug addicted. And right. when they're in prison, they didn't get any drug addiction help. So when they'd be released, they were still addicted to drugs. And so they couldn't get a job. Now, what does a person who is addicted to drugs, who can't get a job, who gets depressed do? He goes back and takes drugs or sells drugs. And sure. they found that about 80% of them were back in prison within a year because of exactly that. And I mean, it's logical and it's a total waste of taxpayer money and waste of their lives. So let's assist people in getting jobs. And many of them will become really good employees because they they know what happens if they're not good employees. They want to do better. Give them a chance. Well, that's the thing. You're right. I mean, that's all they know. I mean, they, they obviously went to prison for that. They can't. They get out. They can't get a job. They need the money. They're going to go back to whatever they were making money at before. Sure. I mean, it's, it's just logical. Yeah. Absolutely. So you didn't ask me. There should have been a follow-up question, but I told you what my second favorite all-time play on words was. Would you like to know my all-time favorite? Let's hear it. Okay. Well, so what do you call it when you mix an elephant and a rhinoceros? Obviously, that's more important than anything else we've been discussing. What do you <laughs> call it when you mix an elephant and a rhinoceros? And the answer is elephant. <laughs> that's great. That's great. I don't get invited back very often, but uh, at least I, that's fun. I'll invite you back. Oh, well, all right. I was already so thinking my, about that. You know, I, I was I mean, out, I, I'm known in our neighborhood. We go out for walks or we sit in front with maybe a glass of wine and watch people sure, walk sure. by. And so they say, well, Jim, uh, give me a joke. So I told somebody today who stopped his car and asked me, I want a joke. And he said, well, you know, recently I told my wife, Grace, that you should learn to embrace your mistakes. So she gave me a hug. Oh, and I, I have a question for you. When you were sitting on the bench, you know, as, as a judge, and you had to sentence people, did it bother you sometimes, that depending on the case and, and, and the age or, or whatever you were sentencing? It hurts. And when it stops hurting, you're in the wrong business. And I sometimes, 
with with more minor offenses. I, I for example, I was on a pro, formal probation violation calendar, and I'd have people come back and they'd get a report from probation. And sometimes, you know, they've been ordered not to go in a particular area or not to drink any alcohol or whatever. And if they were if they acknowledge the offense, I tell them, look, you know, I'm in the responsibility business. I'm going to have to send you to jail for the next five or 10 days or whatever, but I know you can do better. I'm disappointed with you, but I know you can do better. And so, and I call them up first. And so everybody in the, in the place there gets quiet. Oh my God, this guy in a black robe really means what he says. You know, if I drink alcohol or I go and poach or whatever else, I'm going to have to be responsible for it, but I know you can do better. And then let me tell you two other stories. In the same calendar, I would get a report from probation, and they had a question of five stars. And if you got three stars, basically, on your report, that basically meant you're treading water. You're kind of doing okay. You'll get through it. If you had four stars, that meant that you were actually taking it seriously for yourself, and you're doing pretty well. And if you got five stars, that meant you were taking it seriously for yourself, but you were also helping your your fellow, your colleagues, take it seriously as well. It didn't happen that often, but I would call those people up first. I would commend them. I would say, you're doing really well. And I would get off the bench and shake their hands. And on two opportunities, two young men, different different times, maybe, I don't know, 25 years old, they broke down in tears. And they said, your honor, no man has ever complimented me for anything I've ever done in my life. Imagine something like that. But if a judge compliments you, I know you can do better. We're the, we're the most important social workers really in the country. We, we can do things that others can't. And, mm-hmm. and you treat them as individuals, you hold them responsible, but you also commend them for what you do, what they do that's right. And uh, good things start happening. So we have community courts in Southern California. Uh, you know, we have drug courts. In fact, I think I put in the first drug court in the country back in 1983, and they're really working, holding people accountable and responsible. We have veterans courts. We have community, you know, mental health calendars. We have all of these sorts of things, and they're working. They're, it's really a revolution that is spreading where we figure out what people's mental abilities are, what their, their other abilities are, and we work together. And I would tell we'd have a team. It'd be the prosecutor and the public defender and the probation department and the social services. We're all on a team. We all want the right things to happen. Let's group together and have that go. There's the same thing with regard to the abused and neglected children calendar. Sometimes imagine taking the custody of children away from their parents. It breaks your heart. Mm -hmm. You'd almost be in tears doing it, but you had to. Mm -hmm. But we were all together. I bring the team together. All of the those attorneys on one side, attorney for the parents, attorney for the children, you know, the social worker, all the rest. We're all on the same side. We want the parents to have custody of the children. We want the children to thrive. Let's work together to have that happen. And if it can't, then, okay. Uh, We had a saying where the children should only be forced to wait for so long for their parents to grow up because childhood is fleeting. But, you know, you can do this in the court system and take, take note more and more in the court system, we are doing just that, and we're becoming a lot more successful. Absolutely. I see my friends are in the chat or in the, in the green room now, so let's see if we can bring them up. Hi, Jesse. Hey, how you doing? Good. Hello, Henry. Hey. Hey. How we, Judge Jim, Jesse, how we doing? Good. My life has never been better, Henry. I hope you can say the same. 
These are the people oh, no. I was, this is the people I was telling you about, Judge. I wanted to, to I wanted to bring them on to talk to, to, to join the conversation. Good. Lay it on me. Come on. So I, Jesse, I I made some outlandish statements. Give me a question. <laughs> so Jesse, I understand that um you 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 you've recently been that, that, that you've been paroled. No, I, I have not recently. I've been I've been I've been out uh I've been out twenty six years, man. I'm, okay. I'm seventy one years old. Okay, but, all right. Uh, hey, you gotta forgive me, I'm raising three kids. You know, the judge okay. is talking about reunification of the family. Okay, I'm that's not, not a here. Hey, that's, that's hey, Jesse, we can hear of we can hear a few of them in the background. <laughs> uh, you know, they're for some reason they're you know, they have their moments. They they are cool, and then they go crazy, right? They play, and so you know they one six, one seven, and one's ten. So you know they're at that stage, right? Sure. Anyway, uh, you know, I was listening to what you were saying, Judge, and you know I agree with you, but the reality of it is that there's not a lot of, lot of judges that think like you. There's not a lot of probation officers that think like you. There's not a you know, I I got my kids, my grandkids. Okay, so I spent uh, approximately 30 years in the penitentiary, right? And then I got out, and, and on April 2nd of 1996, and I went back to school in 97, and it was probably one of the worst, um, the hardest things I ever did, harder than, than, I was a heroin addict, than stopping that, you know what I mean? But anyway, uh, I went through this whole process, and at the time that I was, I, I was getting my grandson, my first one. Uh, you know, I had been out a while, you know what I mean? And I understand that they got to go through this, the process. But it took me six months, no, five months to get my boy, right? Because they had to run my fingerprint check and blah, bing, blah, blah, all that stuff. And, you know, and, I, and by that time, I already had a doctorate. I got a doctorate, right? And I mean, I'm thinking, well, my God bless, man. I got to go through all this. You know, it's like, so finally I got one. Then when I got the, the third one, it was, it was, it was easy. By that time it was easy, but it was, it, you know, you, you almost feel like throwing in the towel, right? Because it makes it so hard. Well, Jesse, hats off to you, you know, commend you for this. And it's, you know, it's easy for me to say, because I was blessed with, having supportive parents and I went to college and the rest of yeah. that. But yeah. uh, then we have the government that steps on people. Of course. And, you know, you have occupational licensing, for example, where yeah. even to trim trees, to cut hair, you have to get an occupational license and you're disqualified if you've been convicted of a felony or something. You know, the government is not our friend in that regard. That's and right. So a lot of judges, you know, I would tell my fellow judges, that look, if you're not interested in being a social worker, you have no business being in the criminal justice system. That's that you correct. have to understand people, go into civil, go in, you know, that sort of thing. But, you know, some people are better than others. But let me tell you a story. Um, when I was a federal prosecutor, there was one judge, federal judge, who was well known as giving maximum sentences for almost everything. And one time I was going across the street at noon over to the federal uh, cafeteria. And I stood next to him and he said, well, hi, Mr. Gray. And I said, well, good afternoon, Judge such and such. How are you doing? And he said, you know, it's really hard on me on Mondays because Monday is a sentencing day and it, it's hard. 
And I looked at him and I don't know what came over me, but I said, your honor, when it stops being hard, you're in the wrong position. And he looked at me like I was crazy, but it's true. And anytime you're going to take away somebody's liberty, you it should hurt. Doesn't mean you don't do it, but you don't do it mindlessly. We're talking about human beings, and we can look at you as a prime example where, okay, addicted to heroin is obviously not a good thing, but you've overcome it, and now you are a role model and a guardian of so many important lives. I take my hat off to you, Jesse. Good for you. I'm proud to know you, proud to talk to you. You know, Greg, I've only, man, I've been in front of, I do, I do, uh, I'm a gang expert, and I work for the defense. And I was talking to an attorney earlier today, and I told him this. I'm going to tell it to you. I said, you know, the problem with attorneys is that they have been hearing one narrative concerning gangs and gang behavior and, you know, what gangs do, right? From one perspective, all their lives from law enforcement. Okay, and the media, which gets it from law enforcement. So they have this concept, this ide ideology in their mind that this is the way it works. And then here I come. And I say, no, everything that you know, or not everything, but almost everything is inaccurate. And they go like, what? And I say, yeah, look, look, here. And I begin to explain. And they go... That doesn't sound right. Why? Why doesn't it sound right? Because you haven't heard it before? I'm, I used to be a gang member, man. I it was, was your family. Media. I was, was your family. That was, that was what the family did. Exactly. I know what they do. I know what it's about. I know, you know, in California and like in 33 states, we have a, a gang, a gang, a, a law, laws, right? Like here in California, it's 186.22 in the penal code. But they have them in 33 other states. And what they do is they they throw this thing out, this net, and then they, like like in the sea, right? And you're catching crabs, and they bring everybody in, right? It's it's mindless. And and unfortunately, and, and I went on record with this in Orange County, and I don't know where you are, but but they would put the most juvenile prosecutors in juvenile court, the youngest prosecutors, and they would be there and they'd have to show how tough they were and get more convictions so they could off, go off and do something important. No, that was the most important prosecution work in our country, that you need to have a sophistication. You need to understand these people are being molded. And like I said earlier with Charlotte, you know, Charles Manson is always out there to mentor the people that don't get mentored otherwise. And juvenile street gangs mentor our children and they lead them in that direction. Hey, you want to make some money? Hey, you want to have three children? You want to have three girls here and you want to get pregnant so they, you know, you can be a dad. Oh, wow, you're really masculine. You know, it leads them in the wrong direction. We need mentoring from people like you that understand it. You can do it a lot better than I can. I was never in a gang like that other than the Little League baseball team. But, so, but the problem, Judge, again, is, is systemic, right? Like, for example... Here in the city, I, I'm, I'm in Stockton, California. Okay. So they had a position that was uh, for the city, uh, the director of uh, the gang violence, gang violence prevention, right? I submitted my application. I had a doc, everything, oh. you know. They, 
They didn't even acknowledge me. Huh. And the Stupid. reason they don't, they don't differ is two reasons, I believe. One is, they, well, there's more than two, but one of them is they don't trust me. Because like you said, the stigma, you know, that's, uh, that follows you forever, that you're an ex-gang member, whatever, it never goes away. That's one. The other thing is I'm not a yes man. I'm not no. a, you know, I'm, Jesse, I'm not. on behalf of society, I apologize to no, you. But I, on the other hand, you know, if you embezzled from a bank yeah. and the rest, I'm not going to, I don't care what happens 20 years from now, I'm still not going to make you the president of the bank. But, right. but that's, that's a little bit different. But, but on behalf of society, we are losing a resource by not having Jesse be involved with prosecution of gang members and going out and showing them there's a better way you know i i i i uh i have uh talked to district attorneys elected district attorneys right uh and and offered my services to them i said look i will train your assistant district attorneys on how to determine a gang case what the elements of a gang crime are so that we can save money and heartache for countless of people. Well, they, next time you try to do that, let me know and I'll write a letter on your behalf to okay. show them how you are a major resource in our society. That. You've proven not only that you're now understanding all of this, but you can help others in that position. I can't, but you could. And track me down, judgejimgray.com. And if you're involved in that again, I'll write a letter of endorsement for you. I'll even fly to Stockton or wherever I need to go to uh, encourage them to hire you. Okay. Good for you. By the way, Jesse, what do you call a cow that's just given birth? <laughs> I, I, had, I had an attorney one time said utterly exhausted, which I thought was clever, but I like mine better. What do you call a cow that's just given birth? And the answer is decaffeinated. <laughs> Sorry, Jesse. You, you know what, Judge? If I may, real quick, just throw down a few thoughts. You know, uh, the, the issues I face out here in the community uh, in organizing and, and doing a lot of work inside, spending half of my life in prison, uh, also getting convicted of, 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 of these labels, gang enhancements, as they, as they call them, right? Uh, and, and really what it is is survival, tribal warfare. Every community, every society has community members that are going to make decisions that sometimes are out of line and that's going to inflict disrespect that's going to uh, uh enforce you know actions to take just like when we go to war as a country right this country let's not forget it got empowered because of war it got empowered through violence and various other acts right and 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 so you know the the forefathers of this new claimed title America, right, which was the Anahuac nation of people of the coast of the native people that uh, were, were rooted here, my people, right, uh, and the many peoples that exist, you know, we, we all been labeled under this, this, this tax ID, this social security number, this, 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 this new ideal of, of what America is, right, this narrative of this, this dream, this land of the free, the home of the free, right? the, the, the peoples whose ancestors slaved themselves to build this country are the most discriminated, are the most destroyed, and these communities are the most traumatized, are the less served, and, and have various mental 
health issues, various behavioral health issues and, and, and socioeconomical issues because of generational uh, enslavement, generational abuse through the system that carries now into the home and into the kids that goes into the schools, back into society, and it, and it keeps uh, uh, filtering itself. So, you know, when, when I first uh, was doing some research on the subject of violence, you know, I had I researched and, and Jesse's name popped up. I said, oh man, I know Jesse. You know, we were featured on a New York Times article when I first got out the second day that I moved to Sacramento, right? And, uh, and, and so I, I, I continued elaborating with Jesse Singer's dissertation and seeing that his conclusion was that the result of most of the reasons, uh, and he has eight elements that he can elaborate, that the, the reason why, why people get involved in this tribal warfare or this labeled gang behavior, uh, you know, and, and he breaks down those components, right? But, but after concluding and interviewing over 50-something people, breaking it down to, to the 40s, to the 30s, to the core five, right? I think it was, right? Uh, he concluded that most of this violence is fueled by poverty, right? It is my, 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 my theory is it's poverty and trauma systemic, that, that's systemic, right? Those two are running rampant and when people are under, uh, and then shame, you got three things, shame. When those people say that you acknowledge something positive, they've been shamed their whole life. The reason why people commit violence, the research and, and other, other, other experts in Los Angeles that try to take on these issues in, in those communities was basically rooted on shame. You know, so, you know, I'm working with Jesse and, and, and some other folks on our team. Uh, we're going to be uh, seeking support from, from, from community. Maybe it'd be nice to have the, the judges to tell us their perspective of, of, of the power that they don't have in exercising justice because of certain laws that, 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 that restrict you at times, right? And, and, and so, you know, we want to research and, and prove that, uh, uh, what really is leading violence. And, and, and if you really look at it, this stuff is generational. This, some of it is human nature, right? Some of it is misdirected anger and shame. And then it's flight or flight circumstances. When you're under duress, when you're under war in your communities for hunger, and, and you're being suppressed and oppressed by the system, CPS is trying to take your kids, right? They're falsifying stuff. They don't care. They're just going to throw them to the system. You go, you, your housing rights ain't being violated, right? Uh, the court systems eat you up. You know, when it comes to a criminal offense, oh, yeah, good luck being a black or brown person with no uh, funding for a legal representation in the court system, Judge. We have no justice whatsoever. We have no voice. Right. And, and that's been the problem. We have a, a community that's been angered with rage when you oppress it so much. You know, you've done you've done research. What happens when you put people in prisons and you put other a category of people as guards and that whole power psychological thing that happens. Right. It's completely unhealthy and, and it's inhumane to incarcerate people when you could provide better treatment and clinical work that's going to deal with the root causes of childhood trauma. You know what I'm saying? Okay, well, Henry, you said a great deal there, and I, and, and I agree with much of what you said. The, the deal is we have to be responsible for what we do. We have to understand that the United States of America, we've made some mistakes. We've made some foundational mistakes. We treated women at the, in our founding. I've written, actually, I've written a musical called Convention, The Birth of America, and I take to task the founders, because we have a song in there, what about me? Okay, you're feeling so great, liberties for everybody. Well, wait a minute, what about the slaves? What about me? You know, you you build it on my back. What about women? You know, they couldn't own property, they couldn't vote. What about, you know, the, the Native Americans where you took our land and we we welcomed you in our country and now look what's happened. And, and even the, the working folks, they couldn't own property, but life is complicated. But what are we gonna do, give up? 
No, the answer is no, but we're still in the responsibility business. What we do, though, is show people that they have a better way. And we don't unload and, and simply unload and give up on people. Uh, yeah, I got to tell you, if you're going to take a gun and rob a liquor store, you've got to be held accountable. But let's try to get to those folks first and show that that's, that's not the way to go. And then not unduly expect that, you know, when you're 18 years old, you're not the same person as you are when you're 28 or 38. You know, ask Henry, ask Jesse, ask Jim, you know. So so we need to be more understanding, but we also need to get away from this victimization stuff because victimization is a one-way street down in the wrong direction. You've got to be responsible for what you do. And, 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 and let, let, let me clarify, uh, Judge, you know, in no way, in no way, and I and I live my life, and I will continue my life in service. Uh, if you look up, most of my work has to do with helping other people, and all the different systemic barriers that they face. So you become an expert in seeing firsthand what is being done to these families that go to court. They don't, don't, they can't even speak for themselves, right? And 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 so like let, let, the thing is acknowledging, not playing victim, but acknowledging what leads us to commit these crimes. What are the circumstances? We always. What we always want to address the symptom of the problem, and that's been the problem with our society. They, uh, you know, they don't do the research into what's leading, what's fueling this behavior, what's le leading this they, they, these these young people to to be at the highest risk of, of to get killed, to get shot, to become addicted and overdose and have tragic, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, losses in their life. You know, at, at those age factors, right? And a lot of it is the society we live in, the, the communities that, that that you take all the resources, you take all the food, you leave a community hungry, you're going to have desperation, you're going to have chaos, you're going to have insanity. And then you add generational trauma, you're going to have parents in chaos too that they haven't held, held their trauma. And who helps that family? CPS? No, they take the kids. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We don't have effective trauma recovery healing work that is needed in our communities from our people. You know? let, me, let me let you in on a secret that you're talking about. Life is complicated. There's all kinds of things going on. We, everything you said is true. And everything you said also has an, an we, we need to focus upon what works. One thing that works is responsibility. Another thing that works is, hey, we're all human. We all make mistakes. We all will go in the direction that we are led. And mentoring is huge. So in the meantime, right this minute, Henry and Jesse, I salute you both. You, you've been in there. You understand it. And you're trying to help our fellow man. I earlier spoke about what's the most important thing in life, and that's gratification. Both of you, I'm sure, are stealing right now a great deal of gratification because you have been able to lead other people in a direction where they will be able to thrive, and I bless you for it. And if you think there's anything that I can do, Judge Jim Gray retired in Orange County, let me know, and I will try to do it. Good for you. We're all Thank you, Judge. together. We're just in this together. Thank you, Judge. You know, Jeff, listen, I want to, I want to, I want to leave you with this. <clears throat> I commend you for understanding, no doubt. You know, you seem to be a judge. You remind me of Judge Luvianos over here in San Joaquin County. Uh, he's at the drug court, you know, judge. I don't know if you know him, but you know, he's. I do not. He's a. a, a drug a, a, courts work. Don't get me wrong. Look, I've met good, good judges. But I also know that most judges are gatekeepers for the district attorney. You know, I know this because I work in those things, you know. And so let, let's just, Jesse, let's just say some or, yeah. or maybe even many, but not most. At least they don't do it intentionally. <laughs> well, not you. Not you. 
out, okay? And not Judge Luvi, not Judge Luvianos, and not Judge Murray. Murray, Judge Murray, I've been to his house, had dinner. He's a justice now uh, in the third district court, and he's a friend of mine. And you know, there's some good judges. Don't get me wrong. And sure. I, good DAs too. I don't know. I haven't. I only met two so far in my, you know, in my work. But you know, but they're good guys. They have to do a job. You know, we all have to do our, you know, our our part, right? And these guys do their part, even though I can only imagine the what they go through from a different perspective, right? You know what I mean? Like, in other words, uh, you know, they don't want to seem too soft on crime, right? But, you know, it's because it's political and all that other stuff. So I get I get all that. I get it. All connected. So the thing, of, there's a lot of, lot of different things going on. Yes, sure. probably me and me and Henry are probably more on the sympathetic side for for the individuals that come out of the neighborhood. Okay, of course, and, well, rightfully so, yeah. rightfully so. But you're helping to mentor them, and yes. that is huge. By the so way, they, Jesse, again, as I salute you, but yeah, you know, do you know why the Scarecrow was given an award? I have no idea. Because he was found to be outstanding in his field. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get you. That's what I could do for the moment. You know, we gotta, we're, we're in this together. I already, You already know how to find me, and I will help you if I can on okay. what you're doing because let's what see, you do works. Let's see what we're going to come up with some things. And, you know, and I mean, I, I understand the system really well, okay? I really do. Uh, you know, and, and you know, I, I'm pretty sure Henry does too, right? Henry might be a little bit uh, more... I think radical than I am because he's younger, right? And I'm 71 years old. And I'm pretty much burned out, right? But you know, don't I give me the, Jesse. Don't give me that stuff. I'm older than you are, and I'm still I'm still young. <laughs> I know. I, I'm just saying, right? Anyway, so like like you'll hear from me. I I, I imagine you'll hear from us soon. Look but I'm gonna have to let you guys go. It's a pleasure meeting you. Look forward uh, to it. You know, it's a pleasure. I don't even know who you are up there in the corner. I know you're the guy in charge, right? <laughs> but, I'm the girl in charge. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're the girl in charge. Okay, I don't know. Yeah. I can't yeah. tell you. No, no, Jesse, Jesse, I'm sorry. In today's world, you can't say girl. I can't. You, person. You can't I'm the person in it's charge. The person. It's the woman, but, yeah, but the not woman. girl. Okay. Well, you know. That's all good, Jesse. Sometimes I'm not politically correct. You know what I mean? You know, I, you know what I gonna say? I come, from, I, you know, I'm an educated man. Jesse, it's a crazy world. You know? <laughs> but anyway, I, I, you know, uh, I'm sure we'll talk again. And uh, okay, it's been an honor to talk with all three of you. All right, thank, thank you. Bye. And I told him about your programs and what you guys are doing with the. With, you know, with, with the younger kids and stuff, you know, and uh, yeah, I'm glad you came on and thank you. We will follow up, Judge for Charlotte. Uh, we're going to be doing it. We're doing a documentary, a research study on on the root causes of violence, like really deep from our people. Right. Who better than us? Who uh, the perspective from the judges? It's perspective from 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 the gang, the the, the expert, right? Uh, and and, all, and the families as well. Uh, you know, and, and the school systems, right? We're all we're all contributors to this problem. You know, we're all responsible for resolving it and healing it, as opposed to playing the blank card and and, and just getting stuck in that cycle of of no progress. Henry, good for you. Count me in. Thank you. Thank you. A pleasure. Thank you, Jesse. I appreciate it. righty, bye. Bye-bye. Bye, Henry. Thank you. Okay. 
Let's see. We'll get this back here. Okay. Yeah, I wanted you to meet them. Thank you. Because you know, they do. The, the, Henry is probably the hardest working person I know who does this stuff. They're forever um, men, teaching mentoring classes, you know, uh, everything, you know, to get to get to get more. Just, you know, we're all in this together. And, and yeah. you can, he's contributing mightily. Good for him. He has a different perspective. Jesse does. I do. You do. Let's all figure out what works and, and focus on it. And, and we've gotten away from that. We've gotten so political that the answer is put everybody in prison. And it's just it's a it's a waste. It's a crime in itself. And we've got to get away from that. We're still there right now. But again, people that are defendants, people that are incarcerated do not have much political pull. It's up right. to us to, uh, to be their voice. And you are, and thank you for that. And so are Jesse and, and, uh, and the rest. Well, thank you, sir. And uh, I want to stay in touch with you. I'd like to get you back on to talk, you know, more, more about what you do and stuff, because this is dear to my, close to my heart. You know, that's my thing. If, if I can help one kid, you know, stay out of trouble, I've accomplished something. Well, thank you for that. And, and again, maybe maybe you weren't aware of this, but I'll leave you with a little factoid okay. that you may not have you may not have heard this, but the uh, uh, what was it? The uh, I'm sorry, forgot it. <laughs> um, I'm still, I'm still I'm thinking about the cow. <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> Oh well, I'll I'll come up with something later. But at any rate, it's a it's a pleasure to be with you, and I look thank forward you. to doing it again. All right, sir. Thank you so much. You have a good evening. Thank you. Promise you too. All right. Bye bye. All right, guys. That was really cool. I mean, you know, it's neat to hear of somebody else who's out trying to help people. Because, like I said, I I saw some of this stuff firsthand when I was covering courts in Yellow County. You know, some of these families that came in, and it was really heartbreaking because you know I come. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm half Mexican, you know, and I, I come from a Mexican family and, and seeing these, and seeing these families just, just broke my heart, you know? So, um, I'm glad they both came on. Thank you, Henry. And thank you, Jesse, for coming on. Henry is the community healer here in Sacramento. And like I said, like I said, he does a lot of, um, has a lot of mentorship programs that, that, that he's putting together and they're always working with kids and working with adults to try and help get, get the adults to go out and help these kids too. Tomorrow, we're going to be on at 6 p.m. Pacific. We're shifting gears with time. My guest is from Australia. His name is Jesse Fink, and he's written one book about the rock group ACDC, but he's also written a book about their, leads, their former lead singer, Bon Scott. And apparently, he's, he's, he's done some improvements to the book. So he's going to be on talking about the life and times of, 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 of Bon Scott. All right? Um, if you like the show... Actually, no, I'm ahead of myself again. After the show, after I get done talking, I'll, I'll just, uh, our, our guest has written four books. I'll show you the books he's written, where you can get them, and his website. So you guys can check him out and read his stuff. Because like he says, he's got some really interesting articles and stuff on his website. So you can check that out. Now, okay, please remember that I am teaching a psychic development class on the... <laughs> this is crazy tonight. Okay. Yes, on the 28th. I will be teaching a psychic development class and I will also be teaching a ghost hunting one-on-one class on the 18th. So check those out over at California haunts meetup. Just type in California haunts meetup and you're there. Uh, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're equal opportunity here at California haunts radio. And also subscribe to our YouTube. If, if you're watching from YouTube, 
There's a little ghost in the corner with a magnifying glass and a Sherlock Holmes hat on. That's our mascot. Click on that. We've got over 260 videos over there, and they're all different topics. They're like this show. They're they're paranormal-oriented, all kinds of stuff. So I like to vary it. I'm a journalist. I'm a photojournalist. That's what I do. So I, I like to cover a little bit of everything. I think you'll find something that, that, that you'll like. I have a little bit of something for everybody. Um, visit our website at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com, or if you're interested in our paranormal services, CaliforniaHaunts.org. Uh, you see that ticker at the bottom. The reason why that ticker is at the bottom is because California Haunts does not take any kind of monetary thing to go ghost hunting or anything like that. So, you know, usually we get donations when, when we do stuff. But, you know, like I said, the, key, the the goal is to help people and, you know, and help them understand what's going on in their houses and everything. And that's what we do. And just like with this, my goal is, to, is not only to entertain, but to educate people on topics like this. And the other stuff that we cover, whether it's, you know, extraterrestrials or, or whatever, that's that's my goal is to educate people. So if a computer breaks, if the mic breaks, if the headphones break, lights, I have to pay for it. It all comes out of my pocket, just like the Internet comes out of my pocket. Everything was out of my pocket. So, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I got to pay the bills just like everybody else. And that's why that ticker's down there. If you could help me out a little bit, that'd be great. PayPal.me at California Haunts. Or if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, Venmo and then type in California Haunts. It all goes back into production for the show. It goes back into equipment for my paranormal team, gas. Maybe if we have to stay at a hotel to come into your house to investigate, it goes into that. So, no, you know, nothing goes into my pocket. So if you could help me out a little bit, that would be great. I'd appreciate it. In the meantime, I will see you tomorrow at 6 p.m. Pacific, and we will be interviewing Jesse Fink. And here are the four books that our guest let me get the right button. There we go. That our guest has written and where you can get it and also his website. Website, judgejimgray.com. And Two Paragraphs for Liberty and Wearing the Robe are two of the books that he has. All Rise, and Why Our Drug Laws Have Failed, and What We Can Do About It. And those are available at Amazon. And again, I will see you tomorrow at 6 p.m. Have a good rest of your evening. See ya.